1: The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. I'm here with Jordan Williams as always. (laughs) And we're going to get into some self-reflections, what's next for the Buckeyes. We're going to talk about this sort of national coaching carousel. We've got a few talking points there. Uh, We're going to hit on the college football playoff because I guess we have to a little bit just kind of give you guys some perspective on where Ohio State's at and what the remaining season will look like for everybody with the New Year's Six Bowls and everything and sort of those Uh, Talking points as well, Uh, but we're going to get into the coaching staff. We're going to get into some of the season takeaways that we have given the regular season is over. And then we're going to get into the importance of closing out this year strong uh, with bowl practices and their importance with young players, uh, especially with the player opt outs becoming a norm and all that stuff. Uh, we've seen your tweets. We've seen your responses. We're probably going to mix a lot of those questions into what we're already talking about. So, without further ado, uh, how are we doing today, Jordan?
0: Um, I'm I'm all right. If I would stay off Twitter, uh, Twitter just keeps uh, making me angry for a multiple for multiple different reasons. Honestly, I'm just having like I don't know. I just have this thing where it's just it's hard for me to ignore stupidity. And it's really frustrating because like there are like very, very clear and obvious things that are wrong with Ohio State. And then you have people tweeting from like a sense of know it all, especially certain people who have like large followings and they're just entirely wrong. And it's like, come on, there are issues, but it's not that issue like that is not the problem. It's just like, how have you been watching football for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, et years? And like, yeah, so I would be better if I stopped arguing with people on Twitter. But it's not even, even entirely arguing. Like, a lot of it is just like, I love football and I want to, like, educate people. But I just really shouldn't get over it. I should just, like, let people be dumb. And I'd probably be a lot yeah, better.
1: I, I think... Uh we're, we're, we've been having a lot of fun on Twitter the last couple of days. Uh, with the loss, uh, the fan base of North is very, feeling very uh, invincible right now. And I'm hoping that uh, their invincibility wears off soon because uh, next year is going to come and I don't think it's going to be very pleasant for them. And I think Ohio State's going to be back to where they belong. Uh, But it is going to start a lot with what the Buckeyes need to do here uh, coming up in this offseason. I think there's a lot of self-reflection that's going to be needed, and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, conversations that need to be had for Ohio State to get back to prominence. Because now uh, we've been the hunted for uh, the last half decade. Now we're back to hunting, and I think that's a good place to be. Uh, so, getting into this show today, uh, Ohio State, we got to shout out the basketball Buckeyes. Make sure you guys listen to uh, the Heads podcast. Uh, they're going to be doing all the detailing stuff before we start transitioning into mixing football and basketball. But we have to give a shout out to them. They beat the number one Duke Blue Devils. Uh, they take on Penn State Saturday. Uh, did you watch that game, Jordan, uh, at all? <laughs>
0: No, I am a very, I think staunch is the right word. I'm very anti-basketball during football season. I've um, i, I refused to watch it. Um, it's not even entirely that I refuse to watch it. I'm genuinely just not interested. Basketball is not on the same level as football with me. And it it, it takes, like, an entire brain switch for me to, like, watch another sport during football season. And so, like, I know it's like there were no games on and it's technically football season's over, championship week, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, Yeah, I just didn't. Also, it started at 9.30 and I have a bedtime. And there's never a reason that a a game with two East Coast teams should start at 9.30.
1: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing about the start time. Uh, this was a late game, but I, I, you know, I know a lot of people turned it off at halftime. I know the student section saved the entire time, but for a pick me up after Ohio state got beat by that team up North, it was really nice to kind of get back into Ohio state's winning ways. Uh, overall, it was just a huge win for the Buckeyes. Uh, and I think it's exciting. I think with the tough stretch they've had of games, with kind of the buzzer beater against Florida after winning a game on a buzzer beater, you know they've had a really tough opening schedule. Uh, it shows that this team does have an extremely high ceiling. Uh, so I think that should get Ohio State fans excited for the basketball season. It's going to be going to be a roller coaster.
0: Um, I'm- We have breaking news on the podcast that's not going to be breaking news when you listen on Friday, but um, Devin Brown. Devin
1: Brown committed. Hey, oh, yeah. on top of that, there has been some rumors going around that there's going to be some more quarterback movement. So if this show breaks, uh, don't be surprised if you hear it this week.
0: Hold on. Okay. This is the greatest commitment poster that I've ever seen in my entire life. Especially, so you have to pull it up. But for the people who don't follow him, I don't follow him. I just got retweeted. I'm just going to try to explain it as best as possible. So it's a picture of him with a bunch of poker chips around him. And the poker chips have like buckeye leaves on them. And then there's two dice. And his caption says, betting on myself. All oh, else. this is some swagger. And if you don't immediately... If you don't immediately know what that means, like, I don't I, – I'm sorry, but I will explain it. But I feel like you should immediately – everyone is like, why would Devin Brown go to Ohio State? They have C.J. Stroud. They have Quinn Ewers. They have Kyle McCord. He's never going to play. And he comes – he's like, I'm betting on myself and I'm committing. That is – this is the best poster I've ever seen in my life. Like, and I don't really – like, because – well, also – most of them all look the same. Yeah, this so one that's a was part of sick. it. This
1: looks like it actually came from the creative team at Ohio State with kind of what's going on in it.
0: Yeah, I, it, actually, it did because it has Ohio State and Nike yeah, at the bottom. So that's
1: that's straight from them. Uh, I'm I'm looking at this and you know I don't like to uh, toot my own horn too much, but I've been on the Devin Brown thing for like two months now. And I, everyone was like, oh, they're not going to take another quarterback. Uh and then Devin Brown, the momentum kept starting. Then Jeremy Birmingham started talking about it. Then Bill Kerlik started talking about it. Uh, I just want to say, once again, buck off part-time recruiting experts when we're right.
0: Yeah. This is so cool. Yeah. Like I'm looking at like the intimate details. Like he has his number and QB on the playing card. I forgot to mention he has a he's holding a playing card in his hand. This is really good. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be and again, I just like the I just like the swagger, betting on myself. Like and come I'll, on. I'll though. be honest. Like, I, I saw swag. him
1: throw a lot at the Elite Eleven, the open finals, when I went to go watch Quinn Ewers. And this guy, him and Drew Aller were probably the two most impressive quarterbacks from like a physical arm talent standpoint, because Quinn didn't throw much the day I was there. So I gotta watch those two a lot. And uh what was like where, where was it going? Uh, they they were impressive. Like Cade Klubnik was good. He was very good at kind of doing everything, pretty mobile and all that stuff as well. But Devin Brown and Drew Aller have those physical tools that kind of wow you, and that's what Ohio State's getting in this kid. And you know, Ohio State lost Jack Miller. Guess what? They just replaced him with a recruit. Uh, these are the types of things that we don't hear about outside all that much that kind of changed a quarterback's opinion but now you're starting to bring in another super talented arm to the competition that's kind of what happens
0: yeah this is this is really cool um and like I just always go back to this and this is I promise I like to take digs at teams everyone that listens knows this this is not a dig anyone wondering why they want they went after um they went after Drew Aller, and when he was like, nope, I'm staying with Penn State, they went after this guy. It's because look at Clemson. Ryan Day's entire philosophy is I'm going to recruit the best quarterback for my program, but I'm not going to stop because what if you're wrong? Look at Nebraska. Look at almost all the Big Ten. You commit. Look at John Clifford. You commit to a guy, and especially when you commit to a guy for a couple of years, everyone pretends that, like, myself included. Sometimes you can just replace guys, but these, these kids are human. And so it's really hard to tell a 21 year old, three, two or three year starter that they're benching them for an 18 year old. Like that, like that's a life yeah, changing thing. for sure. I understand myself included that I always say these coaches make millions and they have to make the hard decision. And that is true. But again, it's a hard decision. So for Ryan day, his thing is this, yeah, I want the best guy. Yes, I believe in this guy. But what if I'm wrong? What if he what if I'm wrong? What if he doesn't translate? High school to college is different. What if he doesn't have a work ethic? What if he doesn't? I mean, again, no shade. What if he gets a DUI? What if literally what if anything happens and I don't have someone just as good or better yeah. as a backup? Especially with, Clemson with is the screwed. transfer
1: portal, because what do you do if Kyle McCord and Jack Miller transfer and, you know, you don't have a backup plan. Is that what you're going to say? No, absolutely yeah. not. So you're always going to keep recruiting these guys. And I think the I think Corey Dennis was the guy who was there most recently. Uh, another win for him in this recruiting department. And I, I think everyone says, yeah, Ryan Day is recruiting these guys, but Corey Dennis is usually the primary recruiter. With Day as a secondary pitch man, so a lot of credit has to go to him with how he's been doing.
0: Yeah, and I honestly, I could see that. I mean, young young guy, played quarterback in college. Urban Myers, his, his father-in-law. like I, I, I think he's re- very relatable. Same with Brian Hartline. I mean, I, obviously, he doesn't have the, the cachet. Hartline does with being an NFL guy and stuff like that. But Corey Dennis makes people listen. And it, it's easy, easy to make people listen when you're recruiting them to Ohio State. I get it. But still, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like you have to do it. But just my last point on Clemson, their current quarterback's not oh, and good. And they only take one in class. And their freshman is probably not. And their freshman's probably not good either because he couldn't take over DJU's job. So they have to hope that this true freshman coming in. It's, they're Cade getting Club Cade, Nick, right? Yes. Yeah, they better hope that Cade Clubnik is really good. Otherwise, it's another down year until Cade is ready. And then what if Cade's I, not he's good? Like it, good, it, you can be a good job. You can go. I mean, I do too. I'm just saying, like, they got lucky because they recruited once every two or three years, and they went from um, the Sean Watson to, to Trevor Lawrence, and it was smooth, perfect. It well, that always happens. happens. But it doesn't work like that. So Ryan Day got his guy in 2022. Um, he, got his, he got both his guys in 2022, actually, one just reclassified, and he's going to get his guy in 2023, and he's going to get the – the, the the number one recruit in 2024 that's a quarterback, and he's going to keep doing it for as long as he's yeah, here. And before we get on to that stuff, I just kind of want to say like, I, I, it goes back to Devin Brown
1: betting on himself. These kids are hyper competitive, they don't look at another guy like Quinn were just because he's got this thousand rating and think, I can't beat this guy out. They don't think that they don't think that they're not like a lot of you guys who would be like, I just want to take the best opportunity to start where I'm at. No, they're like, Hey, I want to be the quarterback at Ohio state. I have been at camps with Quinn Ewers. I know where I'm at compared to him. I can beat out this guy. That's what they're thinking. They're like, and that's something that I I don't think a lot of people understand. And if they don't guess what, they get coached by Ryan day for a couple of years and they transfer out and they're better off for it because they know what it's supposed to look like.
0: and then they're Joe Burrow. Like, and my thing is like, and this is the one thing that I will never, I want fans to understand. Fans love Quinn Ewers. Cool. Right. But for like, a lot of people are like Jack, um, Jack Miller and Kyle McCord are transferring immediately after the season. But why? Like, like for Kyle McCord to transfer, that means he's afraid of Quinn Ewers or he's admitting that Quinn is better. And why would Kyle think that? He's already the backup, which means he's next in line to be the starting quarterback. Quinn has to beat him out. So, and Kyle, I think we talked about this in the offseason. I think he gave Stroud a better run for his money than you think he did. Um, but he did enough for Ryan Day not to call the competition early because it wasn't Jack Miller doing it. And you were, it always wasn't there. So, He's not going to transfer early because he doesn't think that Quinn is better than him. Quinn may be better, but he doesn't think that. So that's going to be a competition. And Devin Brown doesn't think that. And also, quarterbacks don't transfer as much as people think that they do. Like like quarter like quarterbacks are not freshman starters as much as people think they are, and they don't transfer as much as people think they are. There's just a few high-level cases that everyone that everyone knows. And so they think that is the standard. Matt Corral is maybe the best quarterback in the draft right now. He didn't start as a freshman. Like there's a uh it just doesn't Justin Fields didn't start as a freshman. Like there it, it's It doesn't happen as common as people think, but because there's a couple of big ones, there's your Trevor Lawrence's uh, and that kind of stuff. I think Joe Burrow's path is, is the typical, you go to a program, you stay for somewhere between one and three years. Once you get your real opportunity, you either win the job, lose it or transfer. And some people just never transfer. Like, um, what's, uh, um, what is Georgia's what is Florida's quarterback who lost like three jobs and stayed? Him too, but the one like the one that right now. Yeah, but Kyle Trask and, and Emory Jones, if everyone transferred, they would have transferred forever ago. Cause they both were late starters. Same with Mac Jones, who is the I don't think he's going to be this long term. But as of today, he is the best rookie quarterback in the league. And he played one year as a senior because he didn't leave. Like There are some quarterbacks who transfer, but not all of them. And so he bet on himself. McCord bet on himself. Quinn bet on himself because Quinn came into a crowded class. Jack bet on himself. Jack lost. He's going to go somewhere else. I vote UCLA. Stroud bet on himself and won. McCord... Quinn and now Devin Brown are going to be here for one to three years, depending on their time. And maybe they transfer, maybe they don't.
1: Yeah, that's just the name of the game in today's world. Uh, so yeah, um, I think that's exciting. I think that's something to get you guys excited for the future, but we're not there yet. We're about to go back and take some more swings at what Ohio State did poorly this past season. So with that, we're moving forward here into a little bit of reflection as a lot of teams do. I remember when I was a player that we'd always do exit interviews before we got a nice little break going into the offseason. Uh, we're in exit interview season, and we're kind of going to do a little bit of an informal exit interview on kind of what we saw Saturday, what we saw throughout the year that Ohio State needs to focus on fixing. Then we're going to take a little bit of a look on a coaching staff. We're not going to give too many people we think we'll replace yet because I think we're going to save that for a little bit more uh, later but right now, season takeaways. Uh, what, what, what did we learn this year about this Ohio State team under Ryan Day, about how they deal with adversity? Uh, you know, one thing I think we could both learn from the Michigan and Oregon losses is when they played a physical opponent, it really made Ohio State struggle. Uh, I'm not sure if a coaching staff can fix toughness. I think toughness is an internal thing. Uh, I, I kind of want to get your opinion. What, what's the biggest thing you think you learned from these two losses that Ohio State had? You know, in this uh, awful ten and two season.
0: Yeah, I think first of all, it's funny that you said awful ten and two season because it's just like I don't know if you were, if you were being funny yeah. on purpose, but sometimes it's a good reminder of like. Come on now. <laughs> like like I'm literally like celebrating Kent State winning the Mac and they're seven and five. And part of that's because of buy games. Like they, they got paid for three losses. But like seven and five, this is one of the best seasons Kent's ever had, and we've been like complaining for weeks over a ten and two season. So yeah, like I wanted I just to give a little bit of perspective good, there with a nice little quick jab. Yeah. Good good perspective. But what did I learn? I think that um, <clears throat> I think we learned a couple of... It's it's hard because we learned something about this individual team, which is really what you're asking. But I don't know if we learned anything about the program, right? We learned that this team was led by recruiting misses. And I don't mean to say that like... To be mean, but all of the older guys objectively were recruiting misses uh, or injured, but a lot of them were recruiting misses. Um, we learned that this team didn't have any real leadership, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And we learned that this team, while I believe that they're mentally tough, because I will never say that they quit in any of these games. I don't think they're not physically tough. Um and we learned most importantly and the thing that can change immediately is that these coaches can't make adjustments it's gotten stale um not all the coaches are not all the coaches are are, are new I, i'm sorry not all the coaches are old there are some relatively new coaches but it's been reg, it's been Essentially, two years with this staff makeup, and two seasons of bad defense, and we learned that this staff can't this staff can't develop, and they can't make adjustments. Do they recruit well? Yeah, I, I think we have to give them credit because most of these guys weren't here during our defensive our defensive. Uh, drop in recruiting, which is, again, why these older guys are, are, are bust. Um, we have a lot of four- and five-star talents who are freshmen, redshirt freshmen, whatever, um, as we saw some of them make some, some big contributions. So, yeah, they recruited well, and they kind of brought back that recruiting dip, and I think that's going to help for the future um, because we are a really young team, but they can't develop right? Um, they can't develop and they can't make adjustments. And I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, a lot of people, because you lost to Michigan, are trying to make program defining uh, lessons. And I'm not sure that we learned anything about the program, especially anything that can't be fixed. I think if we learned anything about the program, it's that they're a little soft. Um, and I think that that is kind of slipped a little bit under Ryan Day. But I, most of it is really just as it's presently constructed. The old the the players who are supposed to be the stars are not good, and the coaches are not good, and that led to where we're at.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think my my biggest issue with the two losses this season, and you know, it's crazy because we're a, we're a football podcast who gets to talk and complain about a team that lost two games, where a lot of these other podcasts really get to celebrate just being in a bowl game. And that's, that's fun and all, but this is Ohio state football and you guys are expecting big 10 championships, college football, playoff bursts. So there was a lot that went wrong. And, you know, we thought last year was kind of a flu COVID, you know, you've got a new defensive coordinator and all that stuff. But the issues that arose this past year, Uh, were very much similar to last year. Uh, They kind of put a Band-Aid on the pass defense. They still gave up a lot of yards, which could be by design kind of trying to play that red zone defense. But the one thing that wasn't really noticeable last year due to the effort of Tommy Togiai and the effort of Haskell Garrett was the interior of the defense. The front seven has kind of just been... Bad, If we're being honest, uh, there hasn't been an elite linebacker. There hasn't been anything crazy, especially when it comes to the run game. I think that's something that we noticed against the teams that could match them physically. So yes, Haskell Garrett and that group could physically impose their will on a lot of the worse or big 10 teams, but they finally played an interior offensive line. They played two of them this season with great interior mm-hmm. offensive linemen. Oregon and Michigan and they were bullied around and that opened up a lot of running games Uh, when it comes to you commenting on the defensive lack of adjustments I think it's very clear and obvious that outside of the standard base stuff and adding a few blitzes they really didn't have another way of coaching football and when you have the personnel that isn't fitting your personnel it's not it's like you can't fit a square peg in a round hole and that's what they were trying to do with this defense Uh, last year got a lot of those holes were covered up in the run game because you had a lot of experience at linebacker. What did Al Washington even really do last year with freaking Pete Werner and tough Borland, two guys who were multi-year starters, you know, uh, this year when we needed some real development, this group did not show up. It was not a strength of the team. And uh, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are starting to question Al Washington. I think it's fair because there was nothing to show me this year that, they improved in that way, especially when it mattered most.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And they are questioning our Washington largely because we got our Washington when Marcus Freeman was still okay with being a linebackers coach. Like Marcus Freeman's rise has been like very, very quickly. And I know we'll get in him, get into uh, talking about him a little bit more, but, um, It's like Marcus Freeman was a good linebackers coach. There are other good linebackers coach, and honestly, they could have done what they did with Brian Arline if someone showed interest and got an old Buckeye linebacker and not Marcus Freeman if they didn't want to go that route. Um, But they decided to steal Al Washington away from that team up north, and they made it into this really big deal, and like you said, he hasn't done anything. I, I think it's a really good point that you made that I didn't initially think about that. What did he do last year? Because the one thing we wanted him to do, which was Not play tough Borland, uh, as I'm starting
1: to realize tough Borland wasn't the problem.
0: Well, um, yeah, he you're right, tough Borland wasn't the problem. How he was Was used was the problem, Mm -hmm. wasn't the issue with the coaching staff. But the one thing that we asked is, like, hey, play tough Borland a little bit less, play some of these other linebackers a little bit more. I want to see some more Malik Harrison, I want to see some of this, some of that. He didn't do that, he didn't. And so it's like, okay, fine. Tough Borland gets drafted high, highly to the New, yeah, uh, no Pete new Warner Orleans goes. Buckeyes. And it's like, no, Pete Warner gets drafted highly to the New Orleans Buckeyes. People didn't like Pete Warner either. And he was actually a really good linebacker. He was a very complete linebacker. And so it's just like, didn't do anything last year, like you said. Fine. So this year, a bunch of young guys, all the guys that everyone thought were good. And this is caution, Quinn Ewers, the running backs, offensive linemen, all of this kind of stuff, caution to fans, be mindful of rooting for people just because they're recruiting rankings, because Dallas Gantt, Kayvon Pope, all those guys that everyone wanted to see play, they get their chance, and they're just yeah. not good, and part of that's on the coaching staff, part of that's from recruiting, whatever, so then you don't have them. They don't develop the guys that are there, that are good, that are talented. And so, yeah, like he needs to be one of the first coaches fired because he's doing one of the worst yeah, jobs and in my You opinion. know, you
1: look at Taraja Mitchell, you look at Kevon Pope, you look at Dallas Camp, All uh, two of those guys ended up in the portal. Uh, that really made the linebacker depth thin. Uh, I, I don't know how you couldn't find a way to utilize them enough and keep them happy. You kept trotting out different players. And it didn't work Uh, in the Oregon game in a blowout. You have a player blow up on the sideline and quit the team. Uh, I'm sure there's some red flags there on both sides. If we're being honest, you can't just throw blame on a player for being frustrated. There's obviously other stuff going on. Uh, When you look at the defense, uh, it it just got beat down in the game against Michigan. And I, I think, you know, everyone's like they didn't shift away from their four two five. We can talk about that, but at the end of the day, what happened wasn't because of how the defense was aligned. It happened because the coaches were very vanilla. They believed that their talented players can do enough, and then Michigan knew exactly how Ohio State was going to line up, how they were going to because guess what? They do the same things every time someone shifts, every time something changes, and they found ways to counterattack that. And that is not good defensive coaching. Uh, When you look at the other side, Michigan's defense dictated a lot of what Ohio State did. They forced them into making decisions with their pre-snap identifiers. Ohio State's defense definitely did not do that. And that starts with defensive coaching. And there's a lot of defensive coaches out there who are really good at that. One just got hired at Virginia Tech. His name's Brent Pry. Penn State. They're not as talented defensively as Ohio State, but guess what? Year in and year out, you could expect the same Penn State defense. Right now, I don't even know what this Ohio State's defensive identity is besides getting physically beat down. And that is not what Ohio State fans want to hear.
0: Yeah, and, and that's and it's just like like you said, we have no identity, right, and for all of the four, two five people i th- I think what you're trying to say, maybe if I'm being nice and trying to you know assist, I think what you're trying to say is you weren't happy with the number of people in the box, but here's the thing: the alignment the four two five, three three uh four three um five two, three, four, none of that matters. Right, you can be a good defense with any of that. Look at the top ten defenses. Some are four two five, a couple are four are three four. There's a couple three three fives, and I think three three five is the second worst defense ever created. But they're really good defenses. I I literally, and I'm not gonna go into it in this podcast, but I have reasons. I hate the three three, uh, three three five. But Iowa has one of the best defenses in it, and it's not because it's a three three five, it's just because they're well coached and they get the best out of their players. You could run literally anything that you wanted to. If you had the right players, which I believe for the most part, Ohio state does, you had the right coaches and you could actually coach, you call plays the right way. You, you know, the fundamentals back to my defensive one, you know, the fundamentals, how to read, how to react, how to fill gaps, how to block uh, destruct. you know, all of that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter where you line up. And Ohio state could have had 20 people on the field. And they still would have got bullied by Michigan because it wasn't where they were lined up. It was that they were they were they were soft and they didn't do things right. way. there's a goal line play or close to a goal line play where I counted it. There are nine people in the box, nine. And if you don't know, the box is one yard one yard outside of each tackle. And is it seven or eight it's yards? Seven or eight. It's, it's seven or eight yards. It's it's, eight. Seven or eight yards from the line of scrimmage. There are nine people in the box. It, Michigan gets like six yeah, yards. And
1: That's one thing that a lot of people don't get is – When you're an offensive play caller, it's not about total number in the box. It's about total number of how many blockers you can get to the play side and then have one guy versus your running back. That's the goal. Uh, So if you have eight in the box, if you have four blockers for the four people you're running towards, it doesn't matter. That doesn't – it cancels out how many people he have in the box. So that is a huge issue when it comes to that, because like I said, on the other side, Mike McDonald did a great job of canceling out the number of blockers and having someone who's a free player being able to tackle our running backs. It happened multiple times. Uh, So this is a scheme issue. This isn't just a player issue. I know a lot of like former players are like, well, you coach anything, but the players have to go out and do it. Well, The coaches have to put the players in a position to be able to go do it, and they weren't. So it's a constant lack of cohesion, I think, is the best way to kind of embody this season. It felt like there was a defensive line coach coaching his defensive line to do something. It felt like there was a linebacker's coach doing something, and it felt like there was two DB coaches teaching them how to do stuff. But not all of them were being taught as a cohesive unit. Uh, Responsibilities did not match, and that is – a huge problem when it comes to defensive coaching.
0: 100%. There is not a bad scheme in football. Cover one, cover two, cover three, cover four, cover six, cover nine, um, cover four match. There's not a bad coverage in football. There's not a bad scheme. There's not a bad alignment. It's can you coach it and do your players fit it? If you have four, three players, and you run a 3-4, it's not that the 3-4 is stupid. It's that you're stupid because you don't have the players for your defense and you don't know how to coach it. It all works. That's why different teams can do different things. It's about what you're knowledgeable as, what you can teach and getting the best out of your players. And the biggest issue, and I wrote this after the Oregon loss is the players don't have good fundamentals. They don't know where to drop in their zone. They don't know where to put their eyes. They don't know how to, they don't read and react to the right places. They don't like literally there's a play where Ronnie Hickman's drop back at safety and it's a clear run. It's a clear run. You know, football angles are tight. He's in the frame, When the play starts, he pass drops out of the frame and then comes back in and makes a tackle at 14 yards. Whereas if he, where he's at, if he reads the play right, he makes that tackle at five. Especially because Tommy E missed the tackle in the hole, which is another problem. They miss tackles in the hole all the time. Um, they don't miss tackles all the time in open field, but in the hole, they're almost guaranteed to miss a tackle. But Tommy E slowed down Hassan Haskins because he at least made good contact in the hole. And if and if Ronnie Hickman was coming downhill, that's a five yard gain. Instead. And a very clear running play. It wasn't even an RPO, even though those still look like running plays, which is the point. He pass drops out the camera frame and he only makes contact at 14 yards because he has to run full speed to catch up with the guy because he doesn't know what the play is like. It's not the four two, five. It's not cover one. It's not cover three. It's not cover two. It is the coach's. And the players, but mainly the coaches because they're not coaching the players right. Yeah,
1: it's kind of astounding how, you know, these issues kind of got fixed. Uh, they were able to put a band aid on it. And immediately they play a similarly built team to Oregon. They do things a little differently. But I, I Josh Gaddis isn't like the most elite football mind. Joe Boarhead's not the most elite football mind, but they know what their teams are good at. And they're no, they know what gets them in good positions, and that's what they did well, and that's what the Ohio State defense has not done well the last two years, and that's why I'm fully understanding why these people are like, hey, we need to move on and get a completely new coaching staff. It just doesn't work, and I, I don't know, um, you know, Coach Combs is a great corners coach. I, I wouldn't know. I don't know if he's a great safeties coach. Matt Barnes, a young coach, don't really know his ceiling. Uh, Larry Johnson, it seems like he's a little bit past, and a lot of people kind of get honest for kind of saying that. Like, I I think he's warranted the obvious respect he's earned, but I think the past few years with a lack of development at key positions shows a lot. Like, since Chase Young, who's been a notable pass rusher? There hasn't been one.
0: Our group chat literally yelled at me the for like an tackles. hour. tackles. Yeah, forward. Haskell
1: Garrett's good, but he's very situational at best. Uh, Teron Vincent, I know he's been injured, but what has he developed into? Um, you know, Teron Cage, it was a pleasant surprise this year, but he's not a dominant force. And then you keep going down the list. It's like the last three years, uh, Larry Johnson has done a good job. He hasn't done a great job. Um uh, And then, so, like, we look at all four of the defensive coaches. And, yeah, Matt Barnes kind of got thrust into a tough position, you know, having to become a defensive play caller of a broken defense. But at the end of the day, they didn't – they
0: have not done their job. Yeah, I mean, it it is what it is. And it's literally the fundamentals. And that's why, like, there are some – if we want to talk about scheme, there's some structural things that you can change in scheme, and it's not going to be not running a four-two-five and stuff like that. But it's like the little minute details that, like, you really may not even notice. It's like doing spot drop coverage versus band match coverage, and uh, certain checks and, and 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 stuff like that. Reteaching the fundamentals. Some of that can be fixed with a new guy, right? And if that's the case, if there are new priorities, you can keep some of these coaches. They're not going to fire all of these coaches, I don't think, even though maybe they should. But the thing is there's something wrong and it's from the top down. Either they're focused on the wrong thing. I'm not gonna assume that these guys aren't good coaches cause they have coaching. They have, you know, some sort of coaching resume. Matt Barnes, we keep saying he's a young guy, but it's cause he's not 50. He's like 36. Like that means like he's been coaching for like 10, 15 years at multiple division one places. Like he's not 27, you know what I mean? Like he is probably a decent coach. Al Washington is actively a young guy, and I'm not sure if he's a decent coach anymore. I'm I'm genuinely just not. Um, But there needs to be changes made. But first and foremost, it needs to be made at the top. And it needs to be passed down. And these guys need to know if they can buy into it, and if they can change how they teach, and how they coach, and what they teach, and how they teach it. Uh, And if they can't, then they need to go. for sure. Uh, And the new guy needs to bring his own people in.
1: It, it feels like, you know, uh, I want to get into the offense a little bit. I think there's only really one position group we need to talk about there. But like to kind of put a nail in this conversation, because they're going to have these conversations all offseason, uh, it feels like there's not that single guy on the defensive staff who is extremely detail-oriented. Uh, you know, Kerry Combs is – known for saying he wasn't detail oriented. That is not something you want from a coordinator. Uh, as a head coach, you can kind of afford to like leave out little details. Cause your coordinator is supposed to be the little detail guys, you know, and you're the CEO, you expect that. But when you're the defensive coordinator, if you're not picking up the little details, if, because I know Al Washington is not picking up the little details, uh, Larry Johnson is way past the little details part of his career. Um, uh, Matt Barnes might be a little details X's and O's guy, but it just didn't feel like there was that guy on this staff. And that's extremely alarming.
0: You want to know something? I just had to pull this up because first of all, Al Washington's not a young guy either. He's 37. Um, Do you know what position Al Washington played? No. He was a defensive tackle. And most of his, listen to his coaching resume really quickly. 27 defensive line, 2007 defensive line, 2008 GA, 2009 through 10 D-line, 2011 linebackers, 2012 D-line and special teams, 13 through 15 running backs, 16 D-line, 17 D-line 18 through present linebackers, and I understand that that's probably bad podcasting. Nobody heard all of those dates. What I wanted you to hear is how many times I said D line. Maybe he's not a good linebackers coach because he was never a linebacker. He was a defensive lineman. Maybe he was. Maybe he was a good defensive line coach. Michigan is the only big school that made him a linebackers coach. He was a linebackers coach for one year at Elon before. Michigan made him a linebackers coach, and maybe, and I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say this because they just bullied us. But maybe we shouldn't be following in Michigan's path. How do you look at a coach? And I understand that some people believe that you could coach every position, and that's not entirely true. There's some flexibility, and the best coaches can coach multiple positions, but not everyone's the best coach. But he spent his, he played D line, not only D line, he played defensive tackle. Most of his career, he was a D line coach, and then you give him linebackers. That's why he's not a good coach. I'm sorry. That's why he's not a good coach. And he's 37. If he was a good linebackers coach, he would have been a linebackers coach his entire career. He's been well, coaching like, why for 14. Why would he years. coach
1: the linebackers if he was a former defensive lineman? Like,
0: <laughs> like he's been coaching for since 2007. Hey, he's been coaching City for 14. Even years. a little bit
1: more interesting that. Larry Johnson and Al Washington have never been able to really see eye to eye on what they need from each other because they're both defensive linemen and they both have coached the front seven for as long as they have. So, I, I there's a lot of continuity issues on the defense. It's just not good. Yeah, it's, it's you, you take that. Good. You take the detail orientedness out of it, and you get what we saw is losing for the same reason twice in the same year. You know, if Ohio State went and lost that game because, like, the defense – like, if it wasn't the, – the exact same game happened twice and Ohio State lost them both the same exact way.
0: And that – yeah. I mean, and literally, Michigan said it when they talked about how they won. They didn't talk about Tulsa. They didn't talk about Minnesota. They didn't talk about any other game. They said we watched the Oregon game, and we realized that they were soft, and we could get outside, and that's what and we did. And
1: it worked.
0: I'm paraphrasing. That's, but that's almost what exactly
1: did. what Josh Gadd said on the radio. Uh, so, if I can see it as a part-time sports person who writes a film review that I spend three or four hours doing. Uh, I'm sure the coaches who dedicate their lives to watching film can see it. And that's an issue. And the fact that it looked extremely eerily similar to the other loss this season says everything you need to know about the defensive coaching staff. And that's that's kind of it. And then uh, we're going to transition to offense because we're going to stay on this tough uh, tough course here. Uh, You know, we went in on the defense. I think the offensive line was a very big point of emphasis in the preseason. There was a lot of experience coming back, but I think a lot of the failures start there. Um, I'm looking at this, and I I know Coach Stud had a back surgery during the season, so that's not good. Uh, He was definitely not giving his 100% to coaching the offensive line. Uh, or recruiting. And it's unfortunate in the cutthroat industry that is coaching, but health issues aside, that's a failure of a year. And I think when you look at what Michigan's D line was doing, Aiden mm-hmm. Hutchinson had a 14 pressures. Uh, Seventh year senior Daxon Hill was able to get involved in the run game. Uh, David Ojava didn't do much, but he made a couple significant plays late. Uh, you know, Josh Ross, or what, not even Josh Ross, whatever his name is, it might be Josh Ross, doesn't matter. Um, didn't do any research. Uh, they were able to out physical the offensive line. And uh, when you talk about predictability in the run game, when you talk about all that stuff, uh, I, I, I kind of want to take it back to the olden days. You know, a lot of teams used to just run power and they'd ran power until you stopped it. You know, Ohio state is an inside zone and outside zone, a mid zone and a split zone team. They're a zone run team. There is not a lot of complexities you add to a zone run scheme but you should be able to run it whenever you need to. And that was not the case this season. And
0: that's a problem. Yeah. And there's just no, like there's no creativity in the run game. We talked about this all season and, um, I think it was the flip in the field guys. They talked about how it's almost like there's no intention with the run it's game. It's just here. there. It's almost like Ryan. Day does it because like, he feels oh, like he I haven't caught to called a run for a while. Yeah. Like I haven't called a run for a while, so I should do it. Instead of putting the run to make play action and putting the run to let the offensive line be physical and to do this. And the, like there are a million reasons to run the ball in football. And it's like Ryan Day forgets about it. It's like, oh, I haven't run and then he just calls inside zone. And and the interesting thing is it's like it's okay to run inside zone a
1: bunch of times, but uh, this came up, and some guy was charting the formations to uh, what Ohio State ran and when they didn't run. Uh, They lined up in shotgun and ran the ball once out of nine times. Uh, They lined up in pistol 38 times, and of 38 times they lined up in pistol, they ran the ball 38 times. Uh, Guess who keyed in on those two – Insane giveaways. Michigan. So every single time Ohio State lined up in pistol, Michigan would load the box with seven guys, run a single high safety man-to-man coverage, and every time they lined up in the shotgun, they would run quarters and bracket the wide receivers. So when we talk about lack of creativity, I don't even think it starts with a run game. I think it starts with formational alignment. Every time a team lines up in pistol should not be a dead giveaway that they run the football. But guess what? The film, the data points say it is an obvious, absolutely obvious giveaway. So, that's where it starts. I think the games where ISA State had their best running performances, they mixed in formations. They mixed in and out motions. They did all this different variety of stuff. And they were still running split zone, but they would run split zone with uh, Jeremy Rucker motioning into it. They would run uh, stretch, but with receivers motioning in and out of the formation. So when you're running a near side stretch, it doesn't change anything like that. But it does change when a team is so easily able to key in on it. And that's a huge problem moving forward that I, Kevin Wilson, I think Ryan day, and I don't think you can blame a young quarterback for it. Cause CJ Stroud was making a lot of checks. I don't think you can blame young running backs for it because that's not the case. You can't blame an inexperienced O line for that when multiple of the guys are seniors. So, uh, or juniors. And that is just the truth. The offense did not do their job this year. And, You know, you could add more gap schemes and stuff, uh, but I think at the end of the day, it all starts with alignment with those little things that aren't very noticeable in the moment. And coaches are paid a lot of money to notice that stuff, and the two teams that noticed it did very well.
0: Yeah, and it's and, and, and my thing is this, right? So I've I've not gonna change my mind on this because I've already said it with the defense. There are no bad schemes and stuff like that, right? But there are some best practices, and there is a reason you don't see pistol in college football anymore. Um one of them is it's really easy to defend because the running back is too far away from the line of scrimmage. And if it works if you can bully teams. But if you have a good defensive tackle uh, or a good defensive line in general, it's easy to stop someone in pistol because they have to run seven yards to pick up one yard. Um And there's only so many directions you can go in pistol. Like, I mean, ultimately, again, if you're running it the right way and and you're playing it the right way and you're calling other schemes, you can run pistol. Right. That's the biggest thing. But there is a reason when you turn on the football on Saturday, there are like three teams in America running pistol and Ohio State's one of them. That is a very old school Thing and they should probably stop doing it, in my opinion. But if they're not going to stop doing it, they definitely, like you need said, to get more they variety. Need to mix it up. Do you know how easy it is to run a bootleg out of pistol? It's easy, and Ohio State has like missed them least.
1: in, but not in this game. And that's, the, that's where it's like It's complicated because Ohio State Has all these things They just chose not to do
0: them this year And that's like malpractice Yeah, it's coach. It's literally coaching malpractice. Some of the stuff that they did, and it's like it's we know you have it because we've seen it. And this is why people people hated on me for it, and I don't care. This is why I said that Ryan Day is the biggest bully in sports because if he's supposed to beat you or he has a lead, he it's the the most amazing play call. He's doing all this stuff. He's throwing for twenty five yards on fourth and one. Like he is in the zone. But if he is, if you punch him in the mouth, if you're his size. He gets vanilla. like, And it's the little stuff. You don't run motion no more.
1: uh, We're going to have to get a break here. But when you sit back and throw the ball 45 times, the offensive line loses its aggressiveness. And the lack of balance in some of these games was absurd because uh, they're like, yeah, we're going to make C.J. Stroud beat us, but we're also not going to give up anything deep. So if they want to beat us by throwing it seven, eight yards and we'll rally to the ball, uh, we're going to do that. And it worked again a second time.
0: Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, like, this is Big Ten football. You still have to be you a Big Ten, Ten team. Um, for for everyone saying Ohio State was a Big 12 team this year, I don't entirely There's agree with that. Um, I think they went a little too far, but no, they don't. <laughs> yeah. But they were on their way well, to like, that. They were on their way to being a Big 12 team. So it's just like, no, you got to get tough. You have to run the ball. You have to mix up the runs. And, and the biggest thing Honestly, I don't know how we missed it The biggest thing is play players When it's yeah. supposed to play We're, we're going to get to that after the break my, uh, But, oh, sorry I'm jumping the gun, I got, I got excited Let's go to break yeah, so we can right. come back to Here's that Here's commercials.
1: Uh, we're <laughs> still going to be mad When we get back, <laughs> and then we're going to get a lot of Conversations uh, about, other about stuff Ohio, Ohio State Needs to get better me. In a lot of ways next year, and it all starts With the coaching staff And variety, but the last thing we kind of wanted to touch on before we headed into kind of the next stuff we want to talk about on today's episode is this. Uh, Ohio State uh, got everyone excited this year. They said, hey, we've got this five-star recruit who needs to get on the field. We've got Nicholas Petit-Friere who's playing his best fall camp of his career. We've got DeWan Jones who needs to be a starter. And then we've got Thayer Munford, a fifth-year senior who came back for another year to chase some glory, uh, what are we going to do with him? Oh, uh, we're going to move him to guard. Uh, we've talked about this a lot on this show. Uh, we've talked about this a lot on Twitter. Uh, guards and tackles are not built the same, and there's a reason for that. And it's because they have much different jobs.
0: Yeah, football is not a positionless sport, and and one of the, my favorite things about football is it it's it's very. Um, It's very, like... Specific. That's not really the word that I'm looking for. But like everything matters. Like when you look at football, and there are some players who break it. But if you look at football, uh, there's a ideal size for a tackle, ideal size for a guard, ideal size for a center, ideal size for a quarterback, ideal size for a running back. There are player molds. There's a range from height to weight. Like everything is specialized in football. And again, you have your freak players who you have your five eleven quarterbacks and your six to like your 6'1 defensive tackles like Aaron Donald and, and that kind of stuff. But they're the anomalies. Player, like, players have evolved, not entirely evolved, but like players have evolved to fit what football needs, which is why you see players where it's like, hey, you, you were a linebacker, but you just hit 6'4". We're going to put you to D and we're going to add some weight to you. You were a tight end, but you just hit 250. And it looks like you're going to get to 270. We're going to put you on the offensive line and push that 270 to 300. Like those things matter. And Ohio State's not doing that. Like, yeah. On, and, it's, and it's on offense. Yeah, and it's crazy
1: because I think we can just take a look back to last year's team. I'm going to let you guys know that Travion Henderson, or not Trayvon Henderson, uh, Trey Sermon and Master Teague were not as good as – Henderson and mine Williams are not as talented as those two. Uh, but the run game was much more effective in short yard as run game was much more effective at the end of the day. than this year's, because you had guys like Wyatt Davis, you had guys like Josh Myers, you had guards playing guard. You had Matt Jones playing left guard. Like, wh- what are we talking about here? Uh, you know, you had Nicholas T Friere right tackle you had, uh, or, or, Whatever you have Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Friere playing. And at the end of the day, you realize that Wyatt Davis is not built like Thayer Munford. They are not built the same. And Thayer Munford is not built like a guard. So, you know, when you take that into consideration, when you take in the self inflicted penalties, when you take in, you know, Thayer Munford playing guard for the first time in probably his career. It makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, he's a fifth-year player, but he's not an experienced guard. Paris Johnson Jr. has been a tackle his entire life. He is not a guard. So next year, um, I think the point you made right before, Blake, play people where they were meant to play. Uh, Ohio State's got a lot of guards on the roster. Uh, Harry Miller is going to be back, hopefully healthy. He's a guard. You're going to have Matt Jones back for another year. He's a guard. If you just put those two around, uh, not Josh Myers, uh, Luke Whippler you probably have a pretty elite offensive line. And it opens up a lot of run game stuff that probably just wasn't here uh, this year. And it's because they're physically different players.
0: Yeah, 100%. And that goes to the defense as well, right? Um, I know you guys are tired of me saying it, but it's true. Craig Young is a linebacker. He's 6'3", 225, right? Craig Young is a linebacker. Court Williams is a linebacker. Lathan Ransom is not a slot corner. He's a bullet, right? Ronnie Hickman's in the right position. Um uh cam martinez is not a bullet he is a slot corner or a free safety um like there's a, like like there's a lot of people who are in the wrong position based on talent skill or size right um lathan ransom we talked about it on the show his best attribute he's a good blitzer and for the most part he's a solid tackler his worst is attribute man coverage, man coverage. So why is he the slot corner who's playing man coverage instead of the bullet where he can blitz, he can move around, he can drop back. He's a solid tackler. Like there's so many things that are wrong with the structure of this offense uh, offense and defense. Players playing out of position. And then not only that, right? When they play well in the position, then you don't see him no more. Yeah. Like, Cam Martinez had a couple of really good games. And then, like, I don't know. Maybe I missed it and he got hurt yeah, or something. he was just really bad just against like the run. Was, well, yeah, but put him at cover safety. Where, like, you've still got to tackle, but it's not your number one job. You can play man coverage. Like, Yeah, it's just
1: weird how these things he could be a really good situational asset, but he ended up not playing after, like, the fourth week once they started rotating to quarters and all that stuff more uh yeah it's just interesting i think uh there's going to be a lot of internal reflection with his coaching staff on how they did this year and uh if it stays together it'll be a my it'll be mind-blowing to me if this group sticks together as coaches but uh i'm looking now uh at the future um because i think we've we've hit Pretty hard on every single group we could uh, in what they've done wrong. Uh, I, I guess final thoughts uh, for next year: uh, what does this team need to be? I, I guess we can probably we could probably actually save that one for the last topic when we talk about like moving on.
0: But can I um, can I break up something? We yeah, you can Before me?
1: we get into that, will be a nicer transition to the coaching carousel. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I, I do not, uh, you know, I, we have to remember that Quinn Ewers was supposed to be in this class for one. And I do not question Ryan Day at all when it comes to quarterbacks. But Drew Aller is now the number one quarterback in the class of 2022 and the number three player overall. The thing with that that's interesting is, again, Quinn Ewers isn't in this class, but from the things that we heard about Quinn at some of the other, some of the camps and stuff like that, there's a chance that he wouldn't have stayed the number one player in this class. I'm not saying that, and I I want people to understand I'm not anti-Quinn. I do like him. I do think he's good. I just wanted to highlight that, like, when we're talking about the future, when we start talking about Penn State and why Jane Franklin stayed and all these other kind of stuff, Drew Aller is not a cute little story. He's not the cute little four-star from Medina no more. He's, he's currently rated the, the number one quarterback he, in the he, class. He's, and he's a, a big five-star. dude,
1: man. He's big. He's 6'4", he's 228. He'll, he'll be bigger, too. He'll be like 6'4", 240 by the time he takes the field of the college football player.
0: Nah, they need to. They need to keep him on nutrition. He does not need to be sick. It's not his choice. It's where (laughs) Puberty's taking (laughs) him. Okay, like Will Levis, but but he's got
1: the ability to throw touch passes.
0: Yeah, and and Devin Brown's number five. And again, I I know shade to Ryan Day because he knows what he's doing. And they got Quinn, who was the number one. I just wanted to point out that like Drew Aller's not the cute little. Number seven ranked four star He's an Ohio kid Nope they think he's legit And that's something we need to watch out Because Penn State has never had a legit quarterback Nothing uh,
1: worse than a lover scorned Because Ohio State tried to get him back in on Drew Waller once Uh, Quinn reclassified And he said no So uh, he's going to be out with vengeance Uh, You know you got Michigan getting hot So Ryan Day and this staff Really need to Get right uh, Before next year comes around But with that uh, we are in a lot better of a situation and a lot better of a place than some national powers uh, over the last couple hours. Uh, you know, the coaching carousels brought in some wild stuff, and I think we'll do a recap of like some of the bigger jobs once it's all said and done because there's still a lot of movement. There's still a lot of coaches moving around. So I'd be kind of jumping the gun to go and like kind of rate these mm-hmm. hires and stuff. But. Looking at the two main ones, the two major ones, I think we could all agree, are Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley. Uh, I've got kind of a lot to say about this coach movement now, but I think it starts at the end of the day. Uh, this is something I've been kind of noticing the last couple of years. Coaches are taking jobs at the end of the regular season immediately, and there's a big reason for that. And I think you know why. And I think the audience secretly knows why, and it's because early signing day is now in December. You need time to finish up your class. So a lot of people got mad at Lincoln Riley for going to USC now. You know, go finish the bowl game, you know, whatever. It does it. He needs to get his players to USC. Uh, Brian Kelly needs to capitalize on his name going to LSU and get this LSU, the best LSU class he can. Get these players in the building and say, hey, like, we've got a plan for you. Uh, One of the biggest – Uh, I guess side effects of early signing day moving up to December and being created is the fact that coaches need to leave earlier now. And this is going to be more commonplace in the future. Once a regular season ends, you've got to be on the lookout for coach movement.
0: Yeah. I I just want to say that it's been like this for years. Nobody cared because Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly were leaving. Other coaches have been doing this for a while. Yeah. It, this is how it always happens. It's just um, much rarer I mean, think about when two would, Blue Bloods do it to yeah. each other. Right, and that's what has – and I'm I'm not saying it wrong for thinking it because there are a lot of negatives with this system. I'm just highlighting that this isn't new. It's just this is the first time a head coach whose team could have made the playoffs is in it, right? Because um, Notre Dame still could make the playoffs. But we see it all the – the other thing is we see it all the time with coordinators. I mean, how many times has Alabama Coordinator. coordinators – Blake like Lane I mean, took a start, job start before
1: minute? he – Went through the playoffs.
0: Yeah, Lane, Kiff- Lane Kiffin and Sark did it all the way up through the national yeah. championship. They stayed with Bama. So this is what happens. It's just it's it's more emphasized when it's Lincoln Riley and, and, and Brian Kelly. And that's the thing. This is not going to happen again because there's not too many coaches like this that you can get. Yeah, to and move, it's so. it's
1: also the influx of money, like the way these coaches are getting paid, like. Man. Uh, it, it's getting to the point where heck, if I'm Brian Kelly and I'm making like six million, that like ten to fifteen million or whatever they're saying it's going to be contract comes through the door, heck, I might move to bat on rouge too. So, uh,
0: it's, and I'm a better coach than than and Mel Tucker. I, at least, at least I Damn. think I am. I look at Mel Tucker. I look at James Franklin. Yeah, that's I'm, why like, I'm a better a coach. A lot of people are me. like,
1: "Yeah, Ohio State's gonna have to give Ryan Day another raise after a 10 and two season because you got to retain him. And that's the thing. Like, I don't think Ryan Day is leaving in the middle of the night. But Oklahoma fans didn't think Lincoln Riley was leaving in the middle of the night. So it's crazy because you know the biggest thing I think Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley said about LSU and Oklahoma. Or not LSU. the Oklahoma and Notre Dame is. There's two obvious ceilings at those places. You know, as much as Oklahoma wants to like tout their blue bloodness, uh, it's still in Oklahoma. At the end of the day, it's you can convince college kids to come play football at the University of Oklahoma. But at the end of the day, uh, it takes that much extra work. When you're at Notre Dame, you have to get. Catholic kids. You have to get kids with high GPAs. You have to get a lot of those things. Not everyone's Lou Holtz and gets those non qualifiers in there. You know, it takes a lot. The administration is working against you every single day because of their requirements. Guess what? At LSU, uh, there's no requirements. If you could play football really well, they'll make some move. They'll make, they'll make some things move around for you to get into that school. um, Oh, USC. Uh, Guess what? Lincoln Riley's built a huge pipeline recruiting California to Oklahoma. Guess how much easier it's going to be for him to recruit those Los Angeles kids at USC. Uh, It's not a place that has a dominant recruiting force in there right now. Oregon's done a good job of making headway, but he gets there. They're immediately going to transform back into a recruiting power because he's a great recruiter. Uh, So at the end of the day, all I'm saying is... These two jobs are open, and two, I, I think Brian Kelly's a lot better of a coach than a lot of people do because he did a lot at Notre Dame that a lot of people couldn't, uh, and Lincoln Riley's a good coach. We don't know if he's a great coach yet, but he can prove it at USC a lot easier than
0: Oklahoma. Yeah, and honestly, I think everything that you said is, is right, but also, like, it doesn't matter. Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma mm-hmm. because they went to the SEC. Yeah, that's
1: also a big part. And they
0: made his, made job, his harder. job harder. That is, I think that's I think that is the only reason he left in my opinion. Like you can say well that in yeah. California. But um I don't think he wanted to leave, but when you tell him you're going to go from this superstar yes. coach who wins your conference every year, 10, 11, 12 games, in the playoffs every year, to you're, you're, you're beating you're, up on Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State. Yeah, when you're
1: LSU, you
0: have to play. When you're
1: LSU, you recruit Louisiana. You know Now you're Oklahoma, and you have to go recruit Louisiana, you have to go recruit. Alabama, you have to go recruit Florida. Okay. Well, guess what? Now you go, this is the other thing I put in here. Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley literally went to where talent is all the time. And now Lincoln Riley doesn't have to recruit against Nick Saban. He doesn't have to recruit against LSU. He doesn't have to recruit against Florida for Florida kids. He just gets to be the it program where he's at. And it makes it that much easier not having that direct rival like you would in the SEC.
0: Yeah, and, and I I think that there are some things to be mad about with Brian Kelly. I don't think there's anything to be mad about with Lincoln Riley. They changed his job. First of all, he left when the season was actually over. Yeah. Like, let's get that out of the way. Um, but they changed his job. They said you were going to go from winning championship after championship, to contending for the title, to having to play Nick Saban every year, to having to play LSU. Like, your cute little offense is cool. But now you need to figure out how to get offensive and defensive linemen. You have to play an SEC schedule. Like, I can't be mad at him for looking somewhere else and saying, hmm, do I want to play Nick Saban or do I want to play Mario Cristobal? Do I want to play Kyle Whittingham? Do I want to play freaking um, the Stanford head coach? Like, I think he left solely because they went to the SEC. Because there's really there's really otherwise Oklahoma has everything else that you need. There's no other reason to leave. And especially to leave and have to build up yeah. USC, which for a coach like Lincoln Riley is easier he'll than do. He'll work the portal this
1: year. He'll get a couple recruiting classes in there. And USC's not like dry of talent. They're like they they got hit by the injury bug like Hell, they they suck. That's yeah. one thing. Uh, I don't know how good of an offensive line recruiter Lincoln Riley is, but that's been the biggest issue at USC is not keeping those big guys home or getting big guys from other places to come
0: there. Yeah, I, I do think, and I said this um, on Twitter, that is going to be the biggest thing, though, especially because he took um, – um, I'm losing names. He took Alex Grinch yeah. with him, and it's like the biggest issue – the only issue with Lincoln Riley at USC is USC is a West Coast program, but they're almost their their DNA is almost a Midwest yeah. program. Their DNA is the offense and defensive line. And he's not good at that, and Grinch yeah, isn't good at that. Coach. So they're gonna have to figure they're gonna have to figure that out, and hopefully they they figure it out because otherwise I think that's gonna cause some issues for USC. But USC, I'm ready to claim it is officially as back they're as more they've back ever than been. Texas is that's and for sure. Yeah, I have him winning the Pac-12 as early as 2023 because I think Malachi Nelson is an instant starter, and they have a really good quarterback, and I'm losing his name. they got Jackson but Dart. They have a good quarterback now. Yeah. Jackson Dart. So they have him, Malachi Nelson, L.A. kids switched. All of those four five-star guys that were from L.A., the trio or the triplets, if you want to call them, from the same yeah. high school, all of them are going to go to them, and they're going to yeah, be good. Uh, He's going
1: to have them good immediately. Damani Jackson was between Alabama and USC before USC got Lincoln Riley. USC just I got think
0: a lot more
1: juice with that one. So he was already <laughs> leaning USC. So, uh, oh, actually, a lot of people were saying Bama. Sorry, I misspoke there. He was leaning Bama, and now he's back. I, I think USC really can get in play with him. Oh, uh, but yeah, I think, um, you look at kind of just the three aspects of it, uh, Yes, Brian Kelly's schedule just got a lot tougher, but his roster immediately got an influx of talent. The last three coaches who have been there uh, have all won national championships over the last 25 years. Uh, so it's, it's a place where you can win a national championship quick. Uh, Lincoln Riley, you know, went from a job where he was recruiting in a much more competitive field coming up uh, to a job where he's not really recruiting against anybody. And, uh, those are two going where the talent is, I think is number one. Both of them are in highly rich talent places. Uh, the competition you're playing against, uh, LSU, it's tough when you're kind of rating LSU because they can be eight and four every single year, just with the natural talent they have around them. Uh, so you get a coach who's pretty good. So if he brings Tommy Reese with him and he brings Marcus Freeman, which I don't think is going to happen, uh, they could immediately go from average to national title contender.
0: Yeah, and I I think that um, I'm not going to sit here and defend Brian Kelly to LSU. I don't think that's as clear cut as Lincoln Riley to USC. But ultimately, like if you look at it from the perspective of Brian Kelly's a bad guy, which a lot of people think he is. I don't know him well enough to say that, but like yeah, I that's, what that's what a lot of people like, thought from- he was a good guy before this. So. Yeah. So if you if you look at him like he's a bad guy, it makes sense. And if you look at it purely from a coaching standpoint, purely coaching, LSU is the better job, the location, the recruit, uh, the food, the, the money, the facilities, the commitment, the location, the recruits, the location, the recruits, the location, the recruits, the fact that three of the, their last three coaches have won national championships, and only one of them was a good coach, and that was Nick Saban. Brian Kelly objectively is a better coach than Coach Stud and uh, Les Miles because objectively, both of them are bad coaches. Um, so, Brian Kelly should win, and like nobody should, but he should win an, a, a, a national championship yeah. at LSU because I do think I he's think, a good coach, and everything is laid out for him. I don't that think program. people
1: realize how hard it is to coach at Notre Dame. I don't. I think a lot of people think, oh, they're the Golden Domers. Oh, they have this rich history, like everyone's been able to garner some success there. Yeah, but it's really hard. If you aren't aligned with them 100%, it's really hard. And it took – Lou Holtz wanted to recruit Randy Moss and they wouldn't let him
0: yeah it's like you have to like you first of all you have to be religious or you have to be good at faking it you have to you have to go to catholic schools and granted some of the catholic schools do have good players right but it is mandatory that you take catholic kids so what happens if they don't have good players this year the grade standards the location ohio state's made
1: huge inroads in recruiting catholic schools in the midwest uh Notre Dame, that's a struggle. If if teams are taking away your bread and butter, like St. Xavier, if you're taking away Saint Ignatius in Ohio, if you're taking away kids from these schools, you go to Indiana, like oh uh there's a Catholic school in Indianapolis that puts out a lot of Notre Dame players. You start taking those away, uh, it makes it a lot harder for Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, and and this is not a little thing, right? You take a a black kid from the South who is either not religious or he's Baptist, and you tell him, first of all, you have to come to Indiana. So you have to leave the heat, the sun, your family, right? You have to come to Indiana. It's going to be cold. It's going to be winter, right? But then on top of that, you're Baptist. You're Pentecostal. You're whatever. You have to go to mass because I'm pretty sure it's required because most religious schools... schools, Schools, it is required. You have to go to mass. You have to take theology. You have to take religious courses. There are going to be a lot of kids who are going to say no to that. Whereas, like, because <laughs> I could go to Ohio State, I could stay in Indiana and go to Indiana or Purdue and not have right. to do that.
1: If you're a Southern mm, kid you it's you've different. got LSU, you got – because Notre Dame does want to recruit at that profile. It's just a lot. Yeah. It's just an extra step of selling than LSU. Hey, what's your grades? Oh, you got a 2.8? All right, you're good to go. You got a 2.8 and run a 4.25? We got a spot that, for Matthew. You. Matthew. That's the difference. And, like, we're joking, but it's really not a joke.
0: And it's not impossible, but it's yeah. hard. And here's the thing there's a reason Notre Dame hasn't won a national championship in a while. And again, I understand, like, I say this all the time national championships aren't everything. Being the, being the head coach at Notre Dame is great, but Brian Kelly clearly wanted yeah, to win a national championship. And he wasn't doing it. When you're independent Notre Dame.
1: and not in a conference, uh, winning a national championship is everything.
0: Yeah. And it's like. Also, it's like maybe, I mean, I'm just putting stuff out there, but like Notre Dame being an independent is stupid. At like this point, teams, it is I don't stupid. care about the history. And 2021, about to be 2022, it is stupid and it's hurting that team. Because how many you more? You could
1: literally join a conference. If they wanted to join the ACC and they could literally k- keep their TV contract. That's how TV contracts are working these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they really should be in the Big Ten. They'll never but, do that because um,
1: they want to be. Isolated from the rest of their Midwest counterparts.
0: Yeah, I know, I know. They don't want to have to play, they don't want to have to get beat up on by Michigan yeah. every year. But yeah, um, I, in Ohio I think State. it's just interesting. I think we've seen a lot of jobs
1: kind of get filled up. You know, Florida went with like the safe Southern Hire, um what's his name? Billy Napier. Uh
0: I don't know if he's I, safe. I
1: think, he's a really good I, I'm coach. just saying, like They went with the hot group of five name. You know, a lot of these were kind of normal. Washington went with another hot group of five name and Kalen DeBoer. So it's like, but these two stood out for a lot of reasons. But one more stands out to me because it directly affects Ohio State's competition. Uh, Brent pride the longtime Penn state defensive coordinator finally found the job that's the right fit for him. And it's, it's interesting because I think two longtime defensive coordinators at perennially good teams are finding jobs this year. Brent Venables is probably going to be the head coach at Oklahoma. We saw an image where he was not recruiting with the rest of the Clemson staff. And, um, Brent pride just took a job at Virginia tech, uh, Brent Pry, for you guys who don't know, is a defensive coordinator of Penn State, and he's been giving Ohio State a lot of problems this year. So I just wanted to give him a special shout out. Congratulations, Brent Pry. Uh, thank you for getting out of our hair, and good luck at Virginia Tech because we'll never see you again.
0: Yep. Uh, okay. Well, the Virginia Tech is anti-Sam, yeah. right? I will see you again because that's on my wish list of college. Of like, I want to go to every single Big Ten stadium and watch a game. And there are a couple, like the Rose Bowl, obviously. I want to go to LSU. Um, there are a couple, but like Virginia Tech is one of the ones I want to go to uh, because I want to be NC Inner Sandman live. So I'll see you again once. Not, but, uh, sorry, not when it yeah, matters. Not <laughs> when it matters. That'll be as a fan. Uh,
1: so, yeah, that's fun. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think this is a fair warning to everyone before we get into our final topic of the day. Uh, Your coach isn't safe anymore. Uh, If a blue blood wants them, uh, there's money on the line. So just remember that when it comes to the next coaching carousels. And I think you got to give a lot of respect for USC having the courage to be like, hey, you know what? I see all these names coming available. I see all these other names at coordinator positions. I see all these things, but that's not what we want we're going to go get a star and we're going to breathe some life into this program. And they went and they got a star. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I think uh, to close out the show, uh, Ohio state's going to be, what well, we have, what we got?
0: We have to talk about one star. What's the one star? That, that Marcus. Oh Freeman. yeah. Marcus Freeman. We, have, we haven't talked about Marcus Freeman. Um, Marcus Freeman is... Um, okay, first of all, I want to see if you can do this because no one so far has been able to do this for me. You have a... You you know, you're smart, right? You understand a lot of things. You also have a good touch on the Buckeye fan base. Is there a reason Buckeye fans want Marcus Freeman outside of the fact that he's a Buckeye? Like, am I missing yeah, something? I, I don't
1: know. I think... Um obviously dream scenario would be getting Luke fickle back as their defensive coordinator. And I think he's been tied to Luke fickle for quite a bit of time. Uh, So I think that's where the excitement starts, but I I think we're on the same page. I I don't want to see someone in the Ohio state family just get a job because they coached at Ohio state or were at Ohio state for some point in time. You know, like I think, I think that's a cheap way of looking at it. I think that's why we're in the position we're in. And I think at the end of the day, uh, Ryan Day, the current head coach, was an outside hire. He was not in the Urban Meyer tree. Like, this guy wasn't part of that. And I think Ryan Day needs to get outside the box. But the point you're making, like, outside of Marcus Freeman being a former Ohio State player, I don't see the hype in it. His defenses haven't been significantly better. Uh, Cincinnati's had a great defense, but how much of that credit deserves to be fickle? You know, Notre I think it's all
0: fickle because their defense didn't get yeah, worse Notre when they Notre defense uh,
1: didn't get better when Marcus Freeman got there.
0: Statistically, their worse. defense is – And it's well, – I'm not even comparing it last year because I don't know. I'm just talking about this year's Buckeye defense. I looked it up. At max, they're only seven or eight spots ahead of Ohio State in certain categories. Some of them, it's only one spot. Like, Ohio State is like 50 and something, and they're like 49 – and in another category, they're like 11 and Ohio State's 12. Their defense is essentially Ohio State's defense. Like, at least statistically. And maybe you would say, like, oh, but the discipline and this, that, and the third, with better athletes, Ohio State's defense gets better. Maybe that's true, but again... It as my exciting biggest with all as of
1: it, they make it seem?
0: No. I don't, it's not as exciting, and I don't think it's as good. And my thing is this. We're Ohio State. I said this before... Oklahoma and I said it before I said it before USC and I said it before LSU and now I feel vindicated you are Ohio State you get to go to any coach in the country except for three schools and say my job is better than yours it doesn't matter the position head coach quarterback coach running back DC linebacker it doesn't matter the position you can go to everywhere but Bama Georgia and that's probably it. And, and, and Oklahoma, which is now USC on the offensive side, and say, my job is better than yours. If he went to Oklahoma State, who has a really good defense, and said, I like you, I want you, how much do you want? Here's a blank check. He's coming. He goes to Utah says, I like you, I want you. Here's a blank check. He's coming. He goes to Iowa. He goes to Iowa State. He goes to Houston. Any Any of these other programs that have a good defense outside of Georgia, because Georgia's guy is not leaving for a head coach, except for a head coaching job, they're going to say, "Okay, you telling me Oklahoma State's a better job than Ohio State? It's not." You know how many of these people in the NFL,
1: like you know, that are position coaches, like Mike McDonald was, can bring in that high level thinking from a youthful perspective. You know, like there's coaches out there um, that aren't named Marcus Freeman, and that's okay.
0: Yeah. And this is not an anti Marcus Freeman thing. It's just this. You know, I, I, I see a lot of people, and when I ask them why, they say, okay, but he's better than Barnes and Coombs. Yeah, That's it's fine. not hard to find someone but better, better than Barnes and Coombs. Best. Yeah. Better is not best. We know so, best. We need program changing, we need structure changing. The one
1: reason I would like to get Marcus Freeman as a defensive coordinator or co defense coordinator is because I think it would be great. To have him back recruiting for Ohio
0: State, that is the one. Now recruiting is it, but unfortunately, I him recruiting
1: could be there. absolutely absurd at Ohio State.
0: Honestly, I don't even care. I don't. I just don't want him recruiting against Ohio he goes State. That's like, <laughs> but, I mean, that's his thing. He's got
1: Midwest ties, so he's always going to be finding his way into Columbus high schools, into Cleveland high schools. So yeah. it's one of those things where yeah. it's like. Damn, let's like I, that's where I'd get excited. I could get behind Marcus Freeman because this dude's recruiting at a, an Ohio State level at Notre Dame. So can you imagine? Yeah, and our defensive recruiting taken a back seat, and we've gotten some defensive backs back in the mix, but and JTT and Jack Sawyer, but Marcus Freeman leading the way with however he's doing it at Notre Dame with half the requirements at Ohio State. Stupid. We're in business.
0: Yeah, but also, Marcus Freeman's was one of the – just realistically, he's one of the hottest names out. He's yeah, getting the head a head coaching job. job. And first of all, whether he deserves it – yeah, whether he deserves it or not or he's going to be good there, the players single player The one. players want him to be the coach at Notre Dame. And if he doesn't get that one, he was a front runner for Duke. So that's another one. And then if he doesn't get that one and Fickle takes over, he will get Cincinnati. Come. And if he doesn't get that one, there's still other jobs open. Like he is going to be a head coach this year. I would be, I'd be shocked I, I, if he wasn't. I don't see me. And I honestly, shocked.
1: I honestly wouldn't be surprised
0: if Notre Dame made him the head coach. I wouldn't. Honestly, I wouldn't – I don't know if Notre Dame wants to make him the head coach, but I think the players' voices speak loud enough. And supposedly, you know, you only know so much with reports and what's true and what's not. But supposedly, if he was the head coach, he would keep the offensive and he's coordinator. Gonna, yeah. And who was like Notre Dame and stuff like consistency. Yeah, and that's big time. Um,
1: and I think Tommy Reese would stay with the much more cool-headed, composed Marcus Freeman over going and leaving with Brian Kelly. Plus, Tommy Reese played at Notre yeah. Dame, so he – get added emphasis to stay. And he's also up for the head coaching job, which is crazy enough because he's yeah. one of the rising <laughs> stars in the sport. Uh,
0: but I, think it's, I think it's funny that just side note that uh, Brian Kelly's 0 for yeah. 3 right now. Tony Alford yeah. no. <laughs> and Tommy Reese all told him no. <laughs> it's like you went to LSU, but nobody's coming and with you. <laughs> before we close out the
1: show with some positivity, we're going to talk about it more next week. But – I just want to go on record here and say everyone in the world knows that it's Ohio state or Notre Dame for Luke fickle. Okay. It's not your original thought, Bobby Carpenter. It's not your original thought, Austin Ward. Oh, I think uh, Luke fickle is going to be in the mix at Notre Dame. No shit. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Every single person has been saying that since he left Ohio state. His two jobs would be Notre Dame and Ohio State. He's Catholic. He might go to Notre Dame. Oh, my God. It takes a real genius. I actually want to go to the first person uh, who had that thought and be like, we're giving you credit from here on out. I'm going to give them credit, the first person who had that thought. But if I see like, another old head and be like, yeah, I think it's Notre Dame or nothing for Fick. It's like, oh, my God, you really went out of a limb there, dude. Like we haven't all been saying that,
0: especially because since he's a yes, good job, and it's like, a better it's job like, now. Like, a ch- but like it's like,
1: come on, guys! Like, are we doing this again <laughs> every single off season? It's Notre Dame or Ohio State for Luke Fickle. Okay, yeah. great, dude. Like, we didn't know that last year. Like, we didn't know that the year before. Like, we didn't know that every single year since he's left Ohio State. Like we.
0: Like we didn't know that when he stayed Ohio State's defensive coordinator instead of sept- accepting other jobs for multiple years, like, and it's like it, you know, people are acting like he's at Bowling yeah. Green, Cincinnati, even before, even before the Big Twelve, Cincinnati was a really good job. That's why a lot of big name coaches who are big name coaches now coach that Cincinnati. It's,
1: it's a, a good job.
0: job. He's not leaving for anything. And it's just like, oh, wow. Like, my sources are telling me, your sources aren't telling you anything. That is common yeah. knowledge. And I'm just, right now. It,
1: it's the regurgitation of it. Like, it's their own original thought. Like, they just did something absolutely outstanding that just blows my mind. It's like, guess what? My first tweet next year, once the coaching carousel starts, I'm like, hey, it's Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle, man, Notre Dame or Ohio State. <laughs> Nothing else for him. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it for really?
0: that rant there. Uh, I do have a quick question for gotcha. you. Though. How long is Luke Fickle's prison sentence before Ohio State fans would accept him as a head coach? Like, has he served his yeah. time? Does he have another five years? Like, if 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 Ryan left today, I think Luke
1: Fickle would be number one on the list. That-
0: so ten years that was his prison sentence. His, they're, they're okay with them coming back now. I think his prison now?
1: sentence was done last year with how good Cincinnati was. Okay, so nine, nine. I mean, nine, ten years. That's a long. Yeah, that's a stretch. He, he earn his man. keep as a defensive coordinator, and then he had to be a successful head, like a not just a good head coach. Like he had to be successful. So,
0: so, okay uh, Arbitrary numbers, none of this really matters But we're talking because Ohio State doesn't have a game this week Percentage of the fan base That is okay with it though Because it's not 100% I'd say like 85 uh, you're, Oh, you're hot, I don't know if I, I'm I that think Fick's been forgiven I think you still have that
1: same salty okay. bit Of fans who wouldn't be happy They can hire Nick Saban or like Bill Belichick I'm not saying they'd be good at Ohio State Given their ages, but like they could hire them and people would be like, oh, yeah, we're just going to try to use Nick Saban to win a couple of national championships. Way to be cheap here, Ohio State. Like, You know, they always find like a way to complain. And like, I don't know, Bill Belichick probably couldn't recruit, but uh, there's a reason he's the most successful coach in football. I think that would recruit itself. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. Like anyone would be unhappy. There's that, semb- that 10% of fans who are literally just you can never please them. Okay. And I think that's fair.
0: I was just curious because like maybe, I, I mean Buckeye fans have out Maybe for a seventy-five twenty
1: five, but I think he's proven he could re- recruit at Cincinnati, oh. which isn't easy, and he's gonna make a playoff more than likely.
0: Yeah. So we may be um breaking some more news that's not going to be breaking news by the time you listen to this I don't know who this person is so maybe I shouldn't say it I also don't know how real on three is I'm waiting to see if anyone else says it but someone named Matt Zenitz, and I'm saying his name in case we're wrong but someone named Matt Zenitz from on three said sources are telling him that Marcus Freeman is expected to be the next coach at Notre Dame
1: oh yeah so then we're good to go uh uh, Matt Sennett, is—he uh, was a big hire for them. Oh, so, so he's like yeah, a person? yeah, he's notable been around the block then. a little bit. Uh,
0: <laughs> okay, I'm I'm trying to quick scroll to see if anybody else—if I'm seeing it from the Athletic or anything, yeah, anything so else—I I haven't. Seen pretty it much everything yeah, we just so. said
1: about Marcus Freeman—it uh, doesn't matter anymore. Uh, which is the best part about podcasting. And sports during the coaching yep. carousel. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> well, it doesn't matter because we said he's probably going to be and, a Notre Dame we coach.
1: right. So when you guys go in the time machine and listen to that conversation, once again, Buckoff was right on it. If you guys were listening live, it would have been incredible. But you're not. So just remember, this was recorded at 8.07 p.m. when Matt Zenitz confirmed. Oh, uh, sources confirmed yeah. Tommy Reese's expected to inform Notre Dame his intentions to stay with the Irish as an O.C. So guess what?
0: marcus freeman
1: that. is now the head coach and tommy reese's the oc which we literally did so go Man. time travel listen to this <laughs> 807 december 1st uh was when this was recorded you guys heard that and honestly i think we could talk about bull practices and their importance next week because it's not going to change much so uh any final thoughts for you jordan on the carousel on ohio state football what needs to come next before we close out the show
0: yeah. Uh, my final thoughts are this, and this is mainly telling this to myself. So as I've mentioned before, I'm a subscriber to the athletic Andy Staples, who's a, a big college football writer. He, he did this little live room and I got to ask him a question and I asked him, what is the timeline for position coach hiring? Because I'm like, as an Ohio State fan. I'm very upset that Ryan Day hasn't fired anyone. I've been tweeting it every day for the last couple of days. And essentially, and he played college football, he's been doing this forever. Essentially, he said that when you have a sitting head coach and there's no, um, typically, because, you know, Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, there's no chance that he leaves or gets fired. Position coaches aren't the priority. And you can go up to... Or past signing day before making those decisions. Uh, And especially when the coaching carousel is like this, you want to see who's out there, who gets fired, who gets left because other people get stats, like get coaching jobs, things like that. Like, for example, um, one of the names he said, because we need an offensive line coach, I asked him that, is Brian Beedenbow. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah, supposedly he's a really good offensive line coach. if Lincoln, if Lincoln Riley doesn't take him to uh, USC, which he'd be stupid, but if he doesn't, I don't think he was on that plane. That's a guy that you could get, but you didn't know he was available until after the head coach and Carousel. So I'm saying this to the fans who are like me, who Fire, are upset baby. that there aren't hires, uh, and also the Devin Brown thing, like – I still believe Ryan Day is going to make the changes, but I'm calming myself down because if him not firing the coaches right now allowed him to get Devin Brown, allowed them to get on the road and to kind of really focus on this recruiting and maybe get Hero Cano and Caden Curry and Zion Branch and some of these other guys that we really need, then it was worth it. And so. Mainly talking to myself, like obviously Andy Staples or no one person is gospel, but I do think that's sound advice from someone that played college football really been, in the SEC and been has been, been a columnist for forever. almost like
1: three decades, two and a half decades now.
0: Yeah. So it's like, okay, calm down. It's going to happen, but there are other priorities. You can wait a little bit because your coach is not getting fired, and it's not he's not a new coach like Billy Napier and those other ones who have to get their staff set immediately or have had these people in their back pocket. Yeah. Like, hey, whoever becomes the head coach first, we're going to hide. And, uh, so,
1: before I get into my final thought, I kind of want to add to that. The NFL season doesn't end until the regular season doesn't end until the end of December or January now with Week 17. Uh, so you're not going to really be able to interview those guys until January, February at the latest, you know? So, uh, that's also something to look at because Ryan day, I I know he still has friends in the NFL. He coached with like guys like Robert Saleh and other guys like that. So there's names on his list in his Rolodex that we're not even thinking about that kind of also kind of go into what you're saying. Won't be available until later.
0: Yeah, yep, 100%. So that was largely for me, but maybe some fans feel the same way. I have one more. Yeah, I have one more thing that we didn't talk about. So I'm going to let you go, and then I'm going to have one more final thought.
1: My final thought is is this. Uh, So Ryan Day is going to have to look himself in the mirror here. And I think we are going to learn a lot about who he is this off season. I think we learned a lot about who he is this past off season with giving the defensive staff a second chance. Uh, I think he's feeling the pressure. I think he's feeling the heat. I think he knows that you can't just rest on your laurels in college football. And I think he's seeing this college football landscape around him. It's wide open. Uh, Everyone's kind of waiting for Nick Saban to leave. But I think uh, we saw this Alabama team this year. Uh, I'm not ready to knock them off the mountaintop. There is the transition to the next dynastic team coming up. Uh, And it's right there for the taking. I think Ryan Day knows that. And I think we are going to see some serious transitioning. And I think I saw some fans questioning if he was capable of it. I think we'll see it.
0: Yeah, 100%. And ultimately if he's he'll not get he'll fired. Get fired. Uh, 100%. But like I don't I think he's a good coach. I'm sticking with him. The last thing that I have to say um is two things. One um Please stop listening to the media because media voting is the worst thing ever and coach voting for things is just as bad because these coaches don't really have time to worry about players that's not on their team. Jackson Smith and Jigba not being first team all Big 10 is a disgrace. Him being third team behind Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson is a disgrace. I love Chris Olave, but Chris Olave being first team is a disgrace. That's a legacy award. The people voting for this have no idea what they're talking about. Secondly, with voting, um this is the first time, this is the second time in eight years, large gap, that Ohio State has not had at least one defensive player win a defensive ward in the Big Ten, fire all the coaches. Third thing, and obviously, if you have anything to say to these, we, you know, respond and then we'll wrap up the show. Third thing, CJ Stroud won the Big Ten Player of the Year. Big Ten quarterback of the year and the Big Ten freshman of the year he is the first player ever to win all three Big Ten awards in the same season and so that is for all the people who said he sucks and for all the people who still says he sucks because I still see fans on the timeline questioning if Stroud is a good quarterback and is it it is infuriating I'm
1: with you uh first player to ever do that I believe is what was being said right that's insane. Uh, but, yeah, I think this will be my final take on what you said. Uh, it's archaic that there's only two receivers per team in modern football. That's kind of where I'm at.
0: When there's three, three receivers over the field So
1: that's where I'm at with that. Uh, I think you probably move Garrett Wilson to the first team and Jackson Smith and Jigby to the second team if that happens. But I'm with you.
0: Voting's weird. Um, the media – Jackson and Jacob still should yeah. be first team. He statistically by far had yeah. the best season and we watched the games. He he was the regardless if you take away name, yeah, he was the he best wide receiver in the one of those blind one comparisons this for sure. Like he just he just was. We watched we the games. games. We saw the big catches like it, it should have been. been him there but to your point, there are two running backs, but there's only two wide receivers. It should be two running back, four wide receivers yeah. at that point. Like, come on. Exactly.
1: Now. So, yeah, that's how we're going to close out the show. Obviously, we still had a lot to get off our chest. We had a lot of fun to talk about today. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, screw Michigan. I hate them. Uh, I hate everyone involved with that program. Uh, and lastly, uh, yeah, we'll just go into where you can find us. So, Jordan, we're going to find you on social media.
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JordanW330. You can find me... Um, I don't know where you can find me now that the season's over. You can find me here. You can find me on I-70. Uh, and I will still be writing at least one article a week. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be about, but it's going to come It'll out. Here. So uh, <laughs> it, it, it will be there.
1: And yeah, then you guys can find me at ChrisRennyCFB. Uh, you guys can also find the show page at BuckOffPod. And then... Uh, Yeah, like Jordan, we're going to be transitioning into some new stuff because football season's over, so we will update you guys when that comes. Uh, I got my last film review in yesterday when you're listening to this, so we'll see what comes of it. Still trying to stick to that two articles a week on Monday and Thursday. Probably be more basketball-centric or past film reviews, uh, looking at other things. But we'll get to that mountain when we need to climb it. Uh, That's it for today, guys. As always, appreciate you staying with us this long. Uh, Have a good one. Go Bucks.